Hello and welcome to the Zwift SBS podcast. Zwift is the app that connects you to cyclists all over the world and makes indoor training fun. There are structured workouts, training plans that are really easy to follow, online group rides, and why not try a few races? You can also organize a meetup with a bunch of friends. You might just have to make your own coffee at the end. With Zwift, you can even listen to this podcast while you ride around the Champs-Élysées. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Get a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Ride on. Bonjour, bonjour, buongiorno. Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Before we start, let me remind you that you can download, stream, or subscribe to our podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral, or you can log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Joining me because I'm not on my own, even though I am on my own in the studio, is all the way from home, Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave? You're not being lazy, I believe. <laughs> no, I'm not, Christoph. Good to be here virtually. This feels weird. This feels like we're going back 12 months, doesn't it? But no, I'm, I'm home because I've got a cold and because of what's happening in Melbourne, I thought I should do the right thing. I've had a COVID test. I'm waiting on the results. I'm 99.99% sure I'm safe. It's just a head cold, but I'm staying home today. I've got my cup of tea. This is actually, yeah, uh, it's actually not bad, mate. I might do this a bit more often. Don't, no, 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 no. Don't get used to this. Don't get used to this. Uh, first of all, before we, uh, we, we have a special guest today. Uh, Lauren Kitchen is, is waiting in a, in a green room. Uh, you've got a call. I am not surprised. What were you doing? <laughs> what were you doing? Uh, is that you well, with the chainsaw? <laughs> yeah, look, it is. I was, um, I was just chopping down some wood to put on the fire. We've got a wood <laughs> heater at home. So I thought I'd just better chop some fire. And, what well, wouldn't you know it? Egan Bernal happened to ride past. Yeah, no. <laughs> I will talk about all this uh, in in a, in a second because we know the Giro is crazy, and you know he's proven it uh, in in the last few uh, last few days. Rest day uh, yesterday, so we go back very quickly to to the stage that was two days ago. Uh, Bernal was so strong on that stage. Yeah, he was. He was super, wasn't he? And he wanted to really pay respect to the jersey. He said that post-stage, and you saw it when he came across the line in the last few hundred metres, wet cobbles, unzipped the rain jacket so he could show off the Magliadoza. He's a real proud cyclist, isn't he? He's a proud cyclist of himself first, but of course he, he he's proud of the race and he wanted to really respect the Giro d'Italia and the Magliadoza. So it's another little stamp of authority. But it's funny, isn't it? It's not like he's been winning or, or, or he's been dominating the stages, but he hasn't been taking minutes on his rivals. He's just been taking little chunks each time, but all those little chunks have added up into a nice handy lead now. Absolutely. Let's listen to Egan Bernal straight after uh, all the protocol and so on. Is the one where he's popping. I was going to say the champagne, Maca. It's not champagne. He's, he's, he's popping the Prosecco. Uh, guys, I don't have uh, words to express what, I'm, what I am feeling now. Uh, this is our third stage win in, in this Giro, so I think we are doing pretty well so far. Um, just, I'm, I'm really, uh, really grateful uh, with all of you, uh, riders and all the stuff, uh, all the stuff for what we are doing here. And uh, just, yeah, thank you for for everything. Um, just. Uh, we just need to, to try to, to keep 
doing like this until until Milan, and uh, there is one week uh, in front of us really hard. So uh, just be really focused and thank you again for for everything. And uh, for sure today it is a special moment for for me. So I'm really happy to to share this moment uh, with all of you. Thank, thank you. you. I actually think it was champagne, to be perfectly honest. I recognize that uh, that, that orange uh, label. Uh, there's not overly, you know, an amount of joy coming because they know the job is far, far, far from being finished. Yeah, they do. They're not silly. And look, um, Brailsford as well, he's seen a lot, hasn't he? And I just saw him there in the shot. He's seen everything in his career as a team manager. So they all know they've got to keep, the foot on the throat, if you like, of the rivals of Bernal and of Ineos. So everything is going nice for them. But again, it takes one little slip up, one little mishap. And look, we saw on that previous stage, there was almost a couple of nasty crashes from a couple of riders. Um, one of those could easily have been or could be Egan Bernal. So they've got to be really sort of um, strict on themselves, really disciplined in everything that they do now in this last sort of five stages. Absolutely. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's listen to Sir Dave Bradsford. Yeah, dream day for us, quite frankly. Um, you know, the uh, it's interesting. I think you know, in days gone by, maybe in a in a position that he kind of found himself, maybe in the past, we'd have just kind of played it very efficiently, be quite defensive and safe, and and you know, maybe not the most exciting. But um, I thought today Egan saw his opportunity, and in the pink jersey, took the opportunity to go on the attack. Very ballsy move. Um, and um, took the pre, you know, Chima, uh, Prima, Chima copy, sorry, and um, which he wanted to do, and then descended, you know, fast but careful and to take the stage win. And I think he wanted to do it, you know, he wanted to win solo in the pink jersey, in the Dolomites. He first came to Italy, you know, and uh, from Colombia, he came to Italy, and he's got some real strong affinity with uh, his Italian fans and the people that he stayed with and looked after him when he first came over and joined the club that he raced for in the first instance. So he loves this league, and for him, this is and us as a team. You know, it's not only a big deal in what he's done, but the way that he's done it is something that we're all very, very proud of him for doing. Yeah, and it can be proud. Have you noticed he says uh, Chima copy as well as you? Remember? <laughs> well, I don't know what I said, mixed up my words or something. Yes. Uh, hey, incidentally, can I just say, I've been gone less than 24 hours, and you've already changed up the look and feel of the studio. Mate, who gave you permission I know, to do that? But like, Wes is saying he loves the, the Peugeot oh, jersey oh, hanging here. Wes, I don't know if Wes can oh, finish, but yeah, but that, that is signed by Phil Anderson. That is signed. Oh. That's my jersey signed by Phil Anderson. Do you like the jacket as well? I went pink today. Yeah, I, thought, well, yeah, you know. I know. You've really settled in. You've, like, you've got the studio to yourself. Look at me. Look at me. Mate, I'll be back yeah. tomorrow. Don't worry. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Our guest is with us uh, today. It's Lauren Kitchen. She's going to join us just now. She's in the car. Uh, Lauren, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. So Lauren, we, we're talking to you. We're talking to you all the way to uh, all the way to France. I think you're driving somewhere. Uh, I believe in France. And of course, we're talking to you because you've decided to pull the plug. This is it in your Instagram post. You I said have. This. Yes, that's it. Yeah. It's a decision that I thought about for a long time uh, over the last, I guess, over the last year, but sort of came to the front uh, the last month or so. And I was given an opportunity to talk to some really high level town planners in Australia. And my excitement just went from zero to a hundred 
So Lauren, it's um, it, that's it's like I said to you before off mic. It's it's nice that it's been a natural sort of process for you, and you've got mm -hmm. something to look forward to. But even so, you've spent a lot of your life in cycling, and uh, I'm sure you're going to miss so many good friends and and colleagues and teammates and so on. It's uh, the next month is going to be a real transition for you, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. It's um. It's going to be an interesting period the next month or so, but I'm I'm really looking forward to embracing it and um, yeah, just excited to start the next chapter. Basically, if if we uh, if we go back and uh, look at some of your uh, photos, you know, you you posted those on Instagram. But, uh, how emotional of a moment is it when you have to go back? You know, it is the end, but you have to go back for your photos and you have to select only a few. Uh, you go back at all this. I mean, talk to us about the emotion to actually, you know, saying, you know, this is it for today. Yeah. So when I when I went back and I was looking for some photos to put in the post, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite a hard time actually because I brought up all those memories, and I think that was also helped with my decision because I really realised that there are so many great moments, but in the last year or so, it sort of changed my feeling towards it. So uh, I'm really happy with the choice because of that and because of that process. But indeed, there were so many memories and seeing myself all the way back to when I was 16, um, this is what I've been doing. So to, to transition out of it is a big step, but I just know it's the right time. Lauren, do you think um, because of what's happened around the world with COVID in the last, what, 18 months, do you think not just maybe for yourself, we've seen it with other athletes and I guess people in general in day-to-day -day life, this has sort of sped up the the process for you in some ways or or do you think it just happened naturally? Because we, I remember speaking to you last year, you had a nasty crash as you came out of COVID, then your recovery was actually quite good. You got third in Grand Prix Isbergs, but talk to us about the, the process that made you arrive here. Yeah, so basically the, the whole COVID and everything changing last year and then, then travelling back and forth from Australia a few times and then and then crashing in my first race and the recovery from that was really challenging and I think it was just having all of that extra time to sort of realise what do I actually want and what is actually making me happy and I also really wanted to leave cycling on my own terms uh, where it was my choice and I wasn't forced to the decision. And I think that with COVID last year, I really didn't want to end like that. So I wanted it to be my choice and I'm really happy with, um, yeah, I guess the process it's come to. But the crash last year was definitely part of my decision. And I think it was a case of, I always believe you can come back from anything, like any challenge you face. If you want something, you can always overcome it. But when this year I jumped back in the peloton and found it hard to move up and I questioned myself, do I actually want to overcome this? And that's the first time I've ever had that thought. And I mean, I've had injuries before and difficult situations, but to have that thought was where I was like, oh, maybe this is this is an interesting thought. Let's follow this and see, see what I can get out of it. And if we look back at, uh, if you want to look back at the sports, when you started uh, cycling and then where it is now, uh, I'm sure it's gone, gone back to us. But uh, can you tell us your vision on how the sport and where the sport is right now and how high it can go, what, what it could reach? Yeah, women's cycling has really changed in the decade that I've been a professional. And I think we're on the cusp of seeing it really explode. I mean, it already sort of has started to, but now 
next year there'll be the Tour de France. Like I'm in a French team as well. So we see how big that is going to be. And I think there really is going to be a before the Tour de France and after the Tour de France for women's cycling. But we're starting to really see uh, the professionalism just stepping up. Like all the races are on TV. Everyone can see the races. Uh, there's minimum wages. Teams are really supported. They now value all of the riders within the team, not just the ones winning the race and those aspects. And we see that come through with the national team as well, which is just really exciting and seeing that progress um, continue to grow. So I, as much as I'd like to stick around and see it all happening, I'm really grateful that it is happening for the sport um, and that the next generation will be able to have a really strong professional uh, environment where they can grow and um, develop and we'll continue to see it as well. And Lauren, you mentioned, I think, in one of your interviews just about the um, how hard it is for women, Aussie women, to, to make that step to Europe. And um, you, you said you were lucky coming through the AIS program for two years and that was a good stepping stone. What do you think um, we see, um, Neve Bradbury, she's got the, she won the Zwift uh, scholarship. Mm -hmm. And of course, Sarah Gigante, well, she's a sort of next level athlete, isn't she? But mm -hmm. what do you think some of these other young women from Australia, what else do they need um, to sort of help them get that stepping stone to Europe? Yeah, I think it's really challenging at the moment. There's definitely a gap between uh, the European racing scene and the Australian uh, National Road Series. And that's something that I'd like to help uh, foster the next generation. I mean, I know I've got some experience now and I'd really like to continue to give that to the next generation. So I've been running a mentoring program and I'd like to keep keep doing that and staying involved in the sport in that way, um, but also to work potentially with um, some teams in the future to uh, make that pathway just a little bit easier and help with the development. Because yeah, we, we do have a gap at the moment. Someone like Sarah Gigante was always going to make it, but if it was me, 10 years ago uh, and that was today I, I don't know how you can see the pathway to come over without the support uh, with the AIS and the the factor at the moment is I'm retiring I'm 30 but a lot of the girls in the national team are older than me so we're going to be faced with um, uh, not so many women at the top level potentially in a couple of years so we do need to foster that next generation and even if for me that is just providing advice if that's what I can add then I'm definitely going to continue doing that. Is, is there no, and I'm going to be a bit controversial on this, but is there not a little part of you that is you know unhappy to not being able to take part of the Paris-Roubaix which was cancelled uh, last year for the reasons we know and then uh, it's been pushed again a bit forward towards this year but is this not the race that you could have been, you know, rocking your heart maybe one last time to finish on the Paris-Roubaix? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I did the recon of the race and it's definitely a race that I can see myself in and playing a role in. So, And also being a part of FDJ, it would have been amazing to be part of that. But yeah, it's a combination of uh, a few things, like we've said, but for me, it's just... It just keeps being pushed. You know, there's always something because also for me, the World Championship next year in Australia was a big drive um, also this season. But it was just, a, you know, there's the next thing. There's always going to be something. And I, at some point I just had to be like, no, that's it. But I mean, missing Priory Bay, the first Priory Bay will, will be sad, but I'll definitely be the first one watching it, put it that way. Oh, yes. I imagine there'll be plenty of uh, firsts, won't there, watching yeah. it, Lauren. We, we're so excited for it. Um, you've had an amazing career. You've ridden four elite world champs. You were top 10 in the junior worlds back in 06. Numerous results around the world. Can you pinpoint one result that stands out for you personally that means a lot to you? 
Yeah, the biggest uh, result that I'm probably the most proud of is uh, when I was top 10 in Strata in uh, 2016. It was sort of a goal that I set myself but didn't really 100% know if I was actually going to nail that. And to do that, I was in a smaller team at the time and to be able to pick up, I think I was, I was ninth and I was just so proud of that moment and that day and that it all came together. And I worked really hard for that and um, with my coach Brad McGee at the time. And uh, we were both really proud of that. And it just sort of gave me um, the headspace that I can achieve more um, personally, not just as a team captain or as a teammate. So that that was uh, something I'm really proud of. But um, beyond that, it's um, actually probably team performances uh, that I'm really proud of, not not my personal victories. So, um, yeah, that's what I take from it. And of course, you're, you're leaving France. You're leaving a team that is uh, dear to a lot of French people. Also, Australian uh, Wes, Wes Salzberger rode in, in, uh, mm -hmm. in FDG. Brad McGee rode in FDG and you did as well. So uh, there must be a, a little, I mean, tell us about how sentimental you, you are and you probably will be about this team probably forever. Yeah, it's been, it's been really special to be part of FDG and the, the team culture here has been fantastic for me uh, as as an Aussie, but there's definitely a special link with the team manager, Stefan Delcourt and the Australian community uh, for him and finding that link. So for me, it's, it, it shows their character as a team, but also the management, like for me to be able to stop mid season and for, and with it, with a year and a half still on my contract and for the team to completely support me, like even today I'm going to a school, that's why I'm in the car. Um, but to, to even support, support me in this transition and Stefan to say you've helped me uh the last few years now now it's my turn to help you and and seeing that it's bigger than life uh just cycling so to have all of that come together is what makes this team so special and I wouldn't have wanted a different place to finish my career yeah we, we had uh, people wondering on uh, on Twitter if you were actually on your way to the airport yeah. if you could you was there <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. It was the last minute scheduling that I didn't realize. Um, we had to leave a bit earlier because the school was a bit further away. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to a school with um, one of my teammates today and uh, some management to talk with some students from the area. So um, yeah, so it, it'll be nice to be able to see this aspect of the sport that I don't really get to see. Um, and to be a part of uh, giving back to the team. Like they, like I've said, they've supported me for, well, three and a half years now um, and just a credit to them. And, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, the next step, of course, but I'm trying to not rush everything and um, just jump on a plane, which is something that I probably wanted to do. But um, to make, you know, I know it's a big transition, so just to give it time and respect uh, all the, the choices that are part of it. Look, Lorraine, it's been brilliant to have you. Uh, we're starting to lose you because uh, yeah, I guess the 4D could be a bit patchy in the woods where you're <laughs> heading. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so much for being so good with us as well over the years. We've had you multiple times on the podcast and congratulations for what you did for France and Australia and what you did for, for women cycling and good luck. And we hope to, uh, to stay in touch while you're coming back here in, uh, in Australia. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank Bye. you, Lauren. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, she would be, uh, I think, uh, missed in a, in, a, in a peloton in and around, uh, in and around uh, the, the, the professional cycling, don't you think? Oh, look, absolutely. And look, probably what I didn't say in that section, Christoph, was that when she announced her retirement, the list of riders that were sending her well wishes on her, on her career post-cycling, and it was, it was literally hundreds of them, and some of the world's best athletes. So it just shows the respect that she has, <clears throat> excuse me, in the peloton. 
um, from all spectrums of, of the athletes. And, uh, you know, the career that she's had, like I said, she's done four elite worlds. Um, you know, and one of the big ones for her probably was supporting Amanda Spratt to that bronze medal uh, in 2018, I think it was. But she's played a real integral role, uh, world championships, national teams, and and just for Australian women cyclists, she really has. And I remember her as a, you know, 15, 16 year old coming up and um, she she was a standout then, you know, she was one of the um, top riders at her age group level and she continued on her way. So she's got every little bit she can out of the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always always nice to see. Okay, let's talk about uh, the, uh, the the go back to the Giro, uh, and then maybe switch to uh, to what's happening tonight on our screen. Uh, but first of all, I want to come back to uh, uh, Remco Evenepoel. Okay, in in the last couple of uh, days, couple of stages, we saw him crumble a little bit, and I want us to listen to Remco Evenepoel straight after the the last stage uh, before the the rest day, and then we'll debrief because I think there is probably a little bit more to the story of Remco Evenepoel at the Giro. A super hard stage, especially for the weather. How was your feeling? That was my feeling. <laughs> not not too good eh, if I uh, lose around 20-25 minutes. So uh, just an off day. We knew that this could happen. Uh, in the end, I've been training only two months towards the Giro, which is nothing and not enough to, to be 100% ready and race ready. But that's life. Uh, there's one more week to go. We did a really good stage with Zhao today, so that's the most important for today. Uh, tomorrow is rest day. We'll uh, enjoy it together, uh, take some good rest, and then uh, try to make the best of it in the last week. Last so you want to make it till the very end of the tour? You want to stay here till the very end? I, uh, we never said that I was going to leave, so uh, I never, uh, I never said that I was going to leave if I don't feel. Uh, I mean, if I don't feel that I can finish, so uh, I'm, I'm just going to end the Giro, why not? But of course, in the last few days you understood, because today you and the team decided to leave Joao free to do his race, so probably you understood you were not at your very best, of course. Yeah, I felt it in the beginning, and uh, that we immediately said in the, this morning, this morning's meeting that uh, Joao had a free roll, he could do what he wanted, and uh, I just had to see how I felt and everything, but... Uh, with this weather, uh, with everything, my body just isn't ready for this uh, and I need more time to, to, to get used to this weather again, to all the racing and uh, yeah, my base is not big enough to, to, to race three, uh, three weeks on a very high level, so for this we will change tactics for the last week. There you go, Remco, even a little things I wanted to, uh, to mention here is, uh, when we did the, the SBS, uh, tipping competition in the last, uh, in the last, uh, day, I had Remco Evenepoel. I don't know if you remember, but I knew my day. I knew I was doomed from the moment where in the first few minutes, Almeida went poop and went to the oh, front. Yeah. I went, oh, yeah. I said, I am so done with this. Yes. Yes. Um, no, no, absolutely. If the chainsaws, uh, didn't get Remco, then the climbs were going to. So, <laughs> no, no, I mean, look, it's, um, listening to that, he's, uh, look, he's taking it on the chin. And he, again, I'll say he's talking with maturity sort of behind, beyond his years. So he knows, he knows he's coming underdone. I think deep down, probably himself and the team were hoping for a mini miracle. And probably us as, as commentators and fans were hoping for a miracle as well. But 
I think we all need to just put it in perspective how far he has come and how little really preparation he had for this Giro. Yeah, but like, let me bring you to, to this because this is an article which I translated with uh, Google Translate uh, from the, the Belgian press. Uh, but it's quite interesting because uh, Lefebvre, the, the, the owner of the, the, the Kine Quick Step team, said, and I highlighted it here, but he said, we have to ask ourselves whether it's good for him to continue uh, for the rest of his career, continue that Giro. Uh, but he wants to continue. He's not in the top 10, which is no longer possible. But look at this. I think he's eyeing the last stage, which is a team, which is a time trial. And when you look at it, could we think that Remco and his teammate decided, okay, I'm going to take it easy because I can't do top 10. I can't do anything in this Giro, but I want to go home with a victory on a stage. And that last stage time trial, despite the fact that Ghana is here, I mean, Renko could do something if he's fresh. I don't think he can. I don't think he can because he's not fresh. It's it's pretty obvious that he's not fresh, isn't it? And even when you look back to that stage uh, pre-rest day, um, it was shortened, so that helps a little bit, and he's still lost a huge amount of time. So even if he just tries to roll around in the Gruppetto, it, it's, it's still hard, and you're actually out there for longer if you do ride in the Gruppetto. So I think he can do a decent time trial as in finish top 10, but I just don't think he can win it, especially as you say, Filippo Garner is, is here. And let's face it, Garner is riding like a superstar. Um, I can't see anyone beating him in the TT. Yeah, and it would be good to have a, for the story to have Garner winning the first and the last stage mm. of that Giro. <laughs> well, he did it last year, didn't he? Absolutely. That's yeah. kind of his pattern. You know, this is yeah, the open, yeah, yeah. open stage, closing stage. Uh, yeah. Let's talk again about uh, Ineos uh, because we have a, a second part of uh, the interview we got with uh, Dev Brasford, Sir Dev Brasford. Um, and he talks about how the team is now prospecting about the, this next week because they're not they're not owning you know the they, they're not they're not won yet and they, but they know that but it's the way they come about i think it's there's some clarity let's listen to uh, dev brasford well i think you know it's a bit of a cliche but we know in, in cycling you know, it can happen at any time you know there's um, it's a bit like scoring a goal in football you know you're most vulnerable just after you've scored a goal and you know that five minutes afterwards because you just you know you can relax a little bit and um you know that unconsciously relax and i think we've got to be very very careful of that but it's not the first time we've been in this position and uh, you know we'll keep the guys focused they'll stay focused i'm very very i mean extremely proud of the way the team's ridden uh, as a group we lost pavel early on um but they've stepped up and um i just think that the, the the morale of the group has been fantastic there's no egos in this group there and you've got a difference in age you know we've got castro's you know an older guy but a fantastic fantastic uh, guy for all the younger lads to learn from and there's just no ego, you know, they're really getting on well together. And it's uh, when that happens and it all gels, it's just, uh, it's a wonderful sport to be part of. It is a wonderful sport to be part of, but it has to be said, uh, I know it's been a few years in the making, but it's true that, you know, before they used to centre the, the roster of X-Sky with one guy or two guys maximum. And maybe, maybe there was a bit of ego around this, but this team has completely and utterly transformed themselves in the last couple of years. Yeah, they have. And, I mean, you know, let's remember too that Bernal was, he was a no-show last year. And I don't mean at the Giro, I just mean in general, we didn't see the Egan Bernal that we expected to see. So they had, they needed other guys to step up like Teo Gagenhart. Whereas this year, he's back and he's back bigger and better than ever. And, you know, so when you've got a leader like Bernal, 
the team is going to absolutely confidently back you in. Um, when you show the, the signs, the good signs early on, um, not only the riders will back you in, but management will back you in. And that's what that was, I think, the rhetoric around a little bit of what Brailsford was saying then. And that's good. That's good. You know, they're, they're back in the winner's circle in a big way here. Yeah, absolutely. And then just to conclude on, on Ineos and Bernal, uh, he came sort of clear in the last couple of days that uh, he will not ride the Tour de France, which is quite interesting, but uh, we, we can we talk about it. To, it's it's, sorry? <laughs> we all want him to, don't we? <laughs> absolutely. But the target <laughs> seems to be the, the triple crown for him. He's already sort of bagged the hardest race that is, there is around. So yeah. he's already done half the job, but now he wants a triple crown, meaning that Giro this year, and he could do the Vuelta at the end of the year as well, and then bag a title in everything, the Triple Crown. Yeah, he totally could. He, he can, he, I mean, unless, unless there's a disaster happen in these next five stages, Egan Bernal goes out the winner in Milan Sunday. He is the hot favourite for the Vuelta. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's uh, go as well about uh, what else uh, there is uh, in this uh, world of cycling. Uh, we have a couple of uh, mentions to make. We made a f made a joke about this photo earlier on. This is not really a joke. <laughs> this actually happened while the footage wasn't uh, being being through to our screen due to bad weather in the last uh, in the last stage. But uh, there actually was a dude running along Bernal with a chainsaw. So whether or not the chain was on it, this is the debate. But how nuts is this? You know, was, we talked about the, the idiot of the Zonkolon. Does that top it up? Yeah, that, that completely tops it off. Can I ask, was the engine running on the chainsaw? What was, or the was it off? No, no, the engine, there were two guys, the engine were running. When you listen to the actual video that you can on the, on the tweet, you hear the engine going. Uh, what we don't know is the chain, maybe the chain was removed. But even though, <laughs> imagine how, how much motivation, no doubt Bernal went a little bit faster when he saw this. That's, that's, that was the moment that he attacked, actually, <laughs> when the guy <laughs> ran out from the woods with the chainsaw. Um, I don't know, mountain fever, mountain fever, my friend. You and I have had both had mountain fever before up on Alpe d'Huez, you go a bit crazy. Although I, I never say I would um, pull out the chainsaw. And, and <laughs> what possesses someone that morning to say, beauty, I'm going to the Giro d'Italia, it's the Queen stage, I'm, taking my, I'm packing the chainsaw. Yeah, like he's going uh, jacket, scarf, glove, chainsaw, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, but, but you know what I love about it in, in, a, in a weird, twisted sense? Only in cycling. <laughs> Only, you know, you don't go. They don't turn. Imagine trying to put it through the um, um, customs. You know, the 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 thing at Wimbledon. You want to go into yeah. Wimbledon with a chainsaw, <laughs> like you'd be thrown in jail. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Anyway, this sport never stops to amaze me, and this Giro never stops to, to amaze me. Uh, in other news as well, uh, we we let's have a look at what's happening tonight uh, because we've got uh, a good, you know. Uh, stage tonight it's actually quite a strong stage how do you rate this parkour for for tonight yeah it's it's going to be a it's going to be a tough one it's 194 kilometers there it is there's a lot of downhill at the start there's about 40 kilometers of downhill it's interrupted by that short little kicker category three more downhill and then you've got these two brutal climbs inside the last 50 kilometers uh, Paso Valentino, 14 kilometres. That's the first one at 7.6%. And then the Seg di Ala, Seg di Ala 
is that finishing climb, mountaintop finish, 11.4 kilometres at 9.7% average. So it's not like a five-peak mountain stage that we should have had two days ago. Obviously, it was cut short. But this is a brutal day immediately after the rest day. And question here from uh, Raymond, and you can go uh, and answer that because I've already tipped him. But uh, is this another Bernal territory? He's gone from the tipping competition, by the way. I've took it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, look, the, the big question mark for me is how will Simon Yates bounce back? Because remember, he was quite good on the Zonkalan. In fact, he was brilliant. He was the one who launched the attack. Only Bernal could follow him. But then he faltered. Um, the next day on a shortened stage, he lost ground. So he now needs to hope that his legs come good post-rest day. A steeper climb, will it suit him like the Zonkalan did? I hope so. I'd, lo I'd love to see Simon Yates get something more out of this other than just the top five. I think he's put so much into it and I'd love to see him finish on the podium. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matthew here is telling us, if seen some Shenzhou at soccer match, uh, please okay. do tell us more. I think I saw one in a Portland match, but it actually was the guy cutting. Because in Portland, when you uh, in, a, in a, uh, the American League, when you win or you score a goal, you get a slap of wood that is cut from a, a tree. But that's the only way. Like, we want to know more. We want to know more. Uh, so your your pick tonight, if it's not Bernal, you think Yates could do something? Uh, look, I think I think the problem is. Yates, Yates and, and the GC alike, who are close to Bernal or relatively close, that they won't beat Bernal at his own game. They need to get up the road, but Ineos won't let them get up the road. So I think if it's going to be a, a stage win from, from the Peloton, it will most likely be Bernal. Um, but there is a chance that a break could survive, an outside chance, that there's a chance that the breakaway could survive because of that long downhill at the start. Um, and then that little cap tree kicker. Breakaway could get away and they could take some time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about uh, another point I've noticed on printing the, st the start list for uh, for the stage today. Lotto Sudal, they only have two riders left uh, in their team for the for this job. There's old Danny and Van, Van Hogg, sorry. Uh, no, no. So... How, I mean, how often does this happen? Uh, where would they have been prepared for something like this? Uh, and, you know, what do they say to each other at the dining table or in the bus? Yeah, well, um, gee, yeah, they probably get their own room, I would imagine, and loads of yeah, room Yeah, it'd be a pretty stack if they had to room, to room together. <laughs> oh, you'd be annoyed. You'd be sort of yeah. saying, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. We're still here. We're re representing the team. Not only do I want my own room, but I want the spa suite. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be you'd be totally hitting them up for the spa suite, but no, no, they wouldn't have planned for it. Lotto Sudal would not have um, envisaged that they'd lose just about all their men. Of course, Thomas De Ghent, he's had some nagging knee injuries. We know the story with Caleb, Roger Kluger. So, but no, I mean, guys, you know, they crash, they get injured, they get sick. It happens, and it happened with Bike Exchange a few years ago as well. So, it's not completely uncommon. Um, but the, look, the good thing for Lotto Sudal, they go away with some stage wins. And um, yeah. even if even if they do only finish with two, let's hope those two do make it to Milan. Um, they'll, they'll, they finish the Giro as a successful team. Absolutely. And then if we just go back very quickly to this profile, if you look at the last, last, like very last climb, uh, remember you spoke uh, to Cam Meyer and mm. Cam Meyer basically said this last climb is very, uh, stage 17 coming off the second rest day 
the final climb is filthy to put it uh, in plain terms, actually. Uh, <laughs> took us a good hour to climb up it. It's only 11K and took us an hour. Uh, it wasn't easy. One hour. We were doing one hour. It took, uh, we were doing four kilometers an hour at certain points and Garmin's were stopping because uh, we were going quite slow. So it's got some really steep gradients and Besides, you get your Zonklam, which we all know is famous for how hard it is. Uh, this this climb is, uh, yeah, definitely very hard. And coming on stage 17 off a resto, it's going to be pretty decisive. Pretty oh, decisive wow. uh, indeed. Uh, I love the fact that the Garmin had to stop because probably thought they were walking, you know. <laughs> That's, uh, I, I forgot a little bit of that interview because it was obviously pre, pre-Giro. That's a little nugget there, Christoph. But uh, if that doesn't L- get lucky, lucky I don't forget watch, things. Yeah, Lucky very I don't good, mate. Very good, very good. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, that's a, the, the key part of that is it took an hour to climb it. Now they're training. Let's knock, let's knock 15 minutes off race pace. So it's going to take 45 minutes to, four, let's say 40 minutes even. It's going to take 40 minutes for that final climb. So do you think the stage will be a fast one up to there and then he will crank up? You know, what, what it, are your predictions? It, it's going to be fast because of the, Look, the stage starts at 1,300 metres altitude and the stage finishes at 1,300 metres altitude, which is a mountaintop, obviously. So there's a lot of downhill that leads them to those final two climbs. So, yeah, it'll be super quick, I think, leading into that penultimate climb and then we'll see the shake-up. So, it's a, look, it is a really hard one to pick, I think, in terms of trying to pick a winner. Whether, whether or not it'll be the GC guys or a breakaway, um, I'm actually now starting to lean towards the GC guys. Yeah, good. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, you might have a winner. You might have another stage win. (laughs) Yes, that's what we want. Anyway, that's what I want. Uh, any, any, any other news uh, from you? Yes, I've got some other news away from the Giro d'Italia. So the Lotto Turingen Ladies Tour has begun overnight, I believe, stage one. Uh, Tiff Cromwell, she is like a good, she's like a red wine, Christoph. She just keeps getting better in her career, as her career extends. She made the break of the day. She was ninth, I think. I've got it written down here. No, she was sixth on the stage, in fact. Excuse me. She was sixth on the stage. Uh, It was a relatively short stage. I think it was 89 kilometres with some circuits. So Tiff is riding. She's riding super well. Remember, she's selected uh, for the Olympic Games. Her first. She's been around a long time, but her first. So this is a real feather in her cap and I think she's just got a spring in her step so really good to see Tiff up there and also we mentioned uh, Neve Bradbury before Neve who won the Zwift um, scholarship she's in the race as well she finished somewhere in the peloton so good to see uh, Neve Bradbury uh, getting through that opening stage as well Absolutely, and then yeah, uh, for for Tiff, there's no uh, no secret why she's been selected uh, on the yeah. Olympics. Absolutely, yeah. so she's displaying a lot of good forms. Yeah, she is, and I should uh, mention the the winner, Emma Norsgaard from the Movistar team. Of course, um, they're having a really good season. Movistar with Annemiek van Vluten jumping across to there. They're having some wins, and they're not just coming from Annemiek. So it's been a good start for the tour for those, for that team. Yeah, absolutely. So the stage tonight uh, starts on SBS Viceland at 8.30. I believe it's a little bit earlier. Uh, if I bring this back here, uh, if you watch it on SBS On Demand, yes, uh, it's uh, 7.50 on SBS On Demand, but SBS Viceland at uh, 8.30. This is one I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to because 
we said the other one was the queen stage, but this one is not far from being queen number two stage, really. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now this will be this will be a good one, and it's 194 kilometers. So when you think about it for a second, it's stage 17. It's actually 50, 40 kilometers longer than the stage that we just had. Remember that was shortened to 153. So this is an end. It's meant to be dry, so there won't be any mountains taken out unless there's a disaster on the course, they'll be doing the whole 194 kilometers. So this is actually going to really test them. Yeah, absolutely. Maka, thank you for joining us all the way from your couch. Uh, you. you did a catch, a catch podcast. We did, we did, mate. I'm hoping, I'm pretty confident I'll get a negative result uh, overnight and I'll hopefully see you back in the studio tomorrow. But it's got to be said, you've done the right thing. And guys, if you have exactly the same uh, symptom, slightly uh, slight cold or whatever, go and get tested. This is what you did. And we're waiting for you to get your negative results or at least an answer for you to actually be allowed in the building here at SBS. So thank you. Uh, and thank you for my safety, Mike. Okay, you've done this as well because this room is actually quite tiny. Well, mate, uh, if, 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 you, if you think you're safe because I don't have COVID... I've got a whole host of other things going on in this body, mate, and you've probably already caught them. So, hey, um, but just no, just on a, a real, just a slightly serious note, there were literally hundreds and hundreds of people lining up to get tested. So, go Melbourne. We've been in this situation before, and um, we'll we'll get out of it. Absolutely. Thanks, Maka. Cheers, mate. This was the uh, Zwift Cycling uh, Central podcast. Before you go, but if, uh, remember that you can uh, download, stream, or subscribe to this podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash cycling central or log a ride with our friends at Zwift. Next show, COVID or not, uh, with Maka. It's 4 p.m. tomorrow. Until then, it's bye for now. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor, Zwift. When it comes to sport, I always tell my kids, rule number one, have fun. On Zwift, fun is fast. Tour de France winner, Geraint Thomas uses it. So too does Matthew van der Poel and Australia's Neve Bradbury Zwifted her way to a world tour contract. One of my favorite things on Zwift is seeing the flags of people from all around the globe that I get the chance to ride with. I love the structured workouts, doing meetup rides with friends, and when I'm feeling strong, doing a few races. They definitely hurt, but they are fun. It's easy to get started. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com, and hopefully I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.